0: Hi, and welcome to GCs in the House, a podcast spotlighting general counsels. I'm your host, Lena Guo. In my conversations with GCs, we discuss how they got in the top legal seat, obstacles that they had to overcome along the way, and how they are tackling new challenges. This is the second episode of the Women General Counsel Series. Today, I'm speaking with Shelly Webb, General Counsel at PagerDuty, a public SaaS incident response company based in San Francisco, California. Shelley graduated Stanford Law School and started her legal career at Williams & Connolly in Washington, D.C. She then went in-house to Intel, becoming the head lawyer for Intel's largest business unit. Shelly walks me through how an antitrust litigator like herself became the GC of a public company and talks to me about leading in crisis, how litigation has provided her with a fantastic foundation to be a general counsel, and what it's like to work with a female CEO. All right, let's get to the conversation. Thank you so much, Shelly, for joining me today and for being a guest on my podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lena. I'm really excited. So am I. and and what I find really special about your profile is that you are a tried and true litigator, and it's typical to see attorneys with a co- with corporate training to rise up th- uh, through the ranks and land the GC role. But in your case, you had largely focused on antitrust and commercial litigation early on in your career. And now you are the GC of a public corporation. So I would love for listeners to learn about your path and how you got to where you are. So to start, please tell us
1: who you are and your current role and a little bit about your company. Thanks, Lena. I'm excited to talk about that path today, too. Uh, I'm currently the general counsel of a great and growing public tech company called PagerDuty, We are a SaaS company that's headquartered in San Francisco with a global presence. We have over a thousand employees and serve over 24,000 customers around the globe with our digital operations management platform. So I joined the company just over a year ago. I just celebrated my one year anniversary and I was attracted to the company for many reasons, but I wanna highlight two aspects of the business that resonated most strongly with me. Number one is just what the company does. We are the the company that is there for you on your worst days when an unplanned disruptive incident arises and you need to resolve it quickly and correctly. You can count on the PagerDuty Operations Cloud to help you both resolve it and even help prevent it going forward. And the reason this resonates with me is that I've personally seen and experienced what those worst days can look like for companies. The second thing that really attracted me to the business is that the company's top value is champion the customer, and we really mean it. And I think when you put your customer first, you will succeed. So PagerDuty was a business and a culture that I was excited about. Absolutely,
0: and it's amazing to see how the company has really grown over the years, and congratulations on your one-year anniversary there. So just to kind of rewind a little bit, where did you grow up and what made you want to become a lawyer?
1: I grew up on the East Coast. I was the middle girl of three girls. My older sister is a doctor and my younger sister is a professor of engineering. I'm very proud of both of them. Um, My path to becoming a lawyer solidified in college. I'm not someone who said, I wanna be a lawyer my whole life. We didn't have any lawyers in the family, very math science focused family. And I didn't really even know what being a lawyer was like, but in college I studied economics and government and I had a somewhat unique experience of getting to take an antitrust law class as an undergrad. That class brought together all the things that I loved, economics and writing, logic, critical thinking, persuasion, And so in that antitrust class, everything really clicked for me, and I decided that I wanted to go to law school to become an antitrust lawyer. Uh, I did do a lot of antitrust law for the first 15 years of my career, as you had mentioned, Lena, and I absolutely loved it. But over time, thanks to encouragement and opportunities provided to me by more senior attorneys who I worked with, I broadened my practice significantly beyond antitrust and litigation. But that's where I got my start. Great. And I certainly want to talk
0: more about uh, those who have kind of helped and shepherded you along, along your career and along the way. Um, and so like many in-house attorneys, you started out in a law firm. Like you said, you practiced, um, you were an antitrust attorney for many years. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, a little more about your law firm and that practice? And at what point did you know that you wanted to go in-house?
1: Yeah, so I started my career at Williams & Connolly in Washington DC as a litigator there. About 50% of my docket was antitrust matters and the rest was everything from patent litigation to breach of contract disputes to a criminal case that I got to try and more. Um, The firm really believed in giving us a broad-based litigation foundation and that turned out to be excellent preparation for being a general counsel. I loved working at Williams and Connolly, and they really taught me how to be a lawyer. Excellence is ingrained in everything the firm does, and I was always learning and growing. I loved being part of a team that worked hard and that knew how to win. And in my final year at the firm, I worked on an antitrust case representing a large tech company that brought me back to the Bay Area regularly, and I realized A, how much I missed the Bay Area. I had gone to law school here. Uh, And B, how exciting in-house antitrust jobs were becoming at that time at tech companies. This was around 2012. So it was at that time that I decided the direction I wanted to take my career was to be an in-house lawyer. Um, I'd always enjoyed issues at the intersection of antitrust and IP. And I said to my husband, if I could get a job doing antitrust and litigation for a great tech company in the Bay Area, would you move back to California? And he said, yes, absolutely. We had met in law school and and we both loved the Bay Area.
0: That's great, and and Bay Area has been is a really wonderful place to be. So, how
1: did you end up at Intel? So, after having that conversation with my husband, after just a few months, my dream job opened up at Intel. Uh, it was a role in their antitrust and commercial litigation team. I admit, Lena, it was a pretty narrow path to set my sights on, saying I want an in-house antitrust litigation role. Not a lot of companies need in-house antitrust lawyers, um, and there were a limited number of companies that would uh, even have a role like that available, but I think it was meant to be, and I was lucky to get that role, and then I moved to California in 2013 for that job. Yes, the typical career advice is to
0: broaden your skill set, but I'm glad that the move that you made ended up working well for you. You were at Intel for eight plus years and your role had really evolved. Can you describe that evolution?
1: I really can't say enough good things about my time at Intel. There were so many opportunities for growth and learning over that eight and a half years. And I felt like I had three completely distinct jobs over that time period. So as we started out, I started out pretty narrow in the antitrust and litigation group, and that job involved managing litigation matters, and also serving as an antitrust lawyer for the M&A team. That was incredibly fun work. I got to travel around the world and advocate for our deals in front of the antitrust and competition agencies. And that job really just lit me up every day. I bounced out of bed every morning for that job. Um, That was the job, too, thinking about it. I owe a huge debt of gratitude to several people at Intel who entrusted me with enormous matters, like Intel's largest acquisition, which was a $17 billion acquisition, and then supported me throughout. And those people really were the GC and the chief antitrust counsel and the head of antitrust litigation at the time, all of whom I, I did a lot of work for and with. So after four years of doing that work, the GC said, I need you to take on a new role, leading a new team that we're forming, which is going to manage the company's response to two security vulnerabilities that are known as Spectre and Meltdown, which were security vulnerabilities in the hardware of virtually every modern computer, And that was a phenomenal experience in crisis management and deep dive in security. And I got to work with and to lead an extraordinary team of lawyers and policy and government affairs experts to help resolve the situation. That also was my very first time with my own internal client. I got to be the lawyer for the executive vice president who led the company through Spectre and Meltdown. And so it was in that role that I got to see how much I loved being the go-to lawyer for a business person and their team. And then in 2019, I took on my final role at Intel, which was being the lead lawyer and essentially functioning kind of like a mini GC for our PC business. Uh, It was Intel's biggest business unit, about $40 billion in annual revenue at the time. And I also led the legal operations team for Intel's global legal department. I loved being close to the business, taking on strategic projects, and the general manager for the PC business was not only an exceptionally gifted leader, but he and I learned a lot from him about leadership, but also he treated me as his general counsel and he really let me play bigger in the role. So I'll always be grateful to that client and again, to Intel's GC for believing in me and helping me succeed in that role. That sounds incredible. It sounds like you were really stretched during your time at Intel. How big was your largest team? so our security in the in the security group uh when we were doing the specter and meltdown vulnerabilities we were kind of like a a seal team and there was just a small uh small group of us about a half dozen of us who were um who were the core team members at that time um and then in my next role in the pc group and legal operations i had about um, 30 people who were kind of solid line on my team uh but then at intel and at a lot of companies, you find that there's those sort of dotted line roles and the cross-functional work. And that's one of the things that I've actually most enjoyed about work is and leadership, you do it from whatever seat you're in. It's not just because people are reporting to you that, you know, that they do things. It's about kind of inspiring the vision, getting people to work cross-functionally and all be rowing in the same direction. So in any role that I've ever had, there was um, at least as much cross-functional work as there was work with people directly on my own team. The ability to work cross-functionally func- cross is crucial
0: at a large company like Intel, Looking back, what do you think was instrumental in getting you more responsibilities and more visibility with leadership?
1: So I think really it was a demonstration of the ability to do things really well and know what excellence looks like Um, and then to have good judgment and be versatile. No one can master every subject matter. Um, Unexpected things are going to come up and it's about how you handle them. And that's one area where I think litigation is a good background because things do come up unexpectedly and you deep dive into new areas all the time. You have to be quick on your feet. And it's just also a lot of preparation. There's really no substitute for preparation and hard work and leaning in. Um, I think the other thing as well is that it all comes down to your teams. From the first moment that I've had a team, I've been extremely grateful for them. And so um, as I was leading antitrust work and leading largely teams of outside counsel there, it was really fun for me to transition into teams where I was leading other internal team members Um, and being able to really help them shine. I I established my leadership philosophy early on in those roles of saying, I have this collection of amazing amazing individuals uh, on this team and my job here is really to help you shine. Um, And so I think with that approach, um, you are able to get a cohort of people who are all working together. We had a lot of fun. We were motivated uh, by doing great work and supporting each other. And that just led to delivering great results it, it sounds like it really was a co-
0: both a combination of just the firm training that you had at uh, the training that you had at Williams and Connolly as well as as you mentioned uh, having having built a great team uh, that you can have have fun together with and, and do really great work with together. Uh, so at what point did you know that you you wanted to become a general
1: counsel? I didn't know that I wanted to become a GC until well after I spent some time in that product security role where I got to directly support that business client for the first time, as I mentioned. And I really saw how much I valued that work and that relationship, getting to be a trusted advisor to a business person who's making really enormous decisions. And I loved helping them do that. Um, And I also loved, as I mentioned, leading my own legal and policy team. But it was so it wasn't until that role uh, well into it that I decided that I wanted to become a GC or that I thought I might even want to do that. And I think that that surprises a lot of people. People often say things like, oh, this must have been a lifelong dream for you. Um, But actually, up until that time, I truly just took on each role and each project as it came. I completely immersed myself in learning and doing excellent work. And I don't think I ever would have said that I'm going to try to become a GC if it hadn't been for the executives at Intel who encouraged me down that path.
0: Wow. And what do you think really set you up for for making that transition into your first general counsel role i think you know lots of lots of folks have an eye towards becoming a general counsel but that is a it's a difficult leap so what do you think really uh, set you apart
1: so i think having become uh, having been kind of a mini gc at intel i felt as well prepared for it as i think someone can feel but i also knew what I didn't know. Um, as you mentioned, I came from the litigation world and not the corporate governance and securities world. So I knew that I would need to work really hard to earn my keep and, and add value in that space, which is an incredibly important one, especially for a public company. And I also knew I would need to have a great deputy GC in that space as well. And someone who who could be a great team member and he, and and who they and I would be a great partnership. Um, you have to get comfortable managing people who know more, a lot more, <laughs> about any particular subject matter than you do. And I started practicing that skill at, in, skill at Intel with my, you know, first foray into the security world. There were team members who knew a lot more about security than I than I do do. Um, and if you are like me and you you value deep expertise, uh, it can be hard to accept that you can't master every area of the law that will be under your purview as a GC, uh, but you simply can't. And so I try to accept that while also embracing every opportunity that I can to learn from the really terrific subject matter experts on my team and grow my own knowledge in the role too. And
0: and so it, it, as I had mentioned earlier, it's it's neither common or always easy for a litigator to to become general counsel. So what advice do you have for litigators with an eye towards the GCC?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I agree with you that it can be harder or at least seem harder uh, because of two primary things. I think the first one that we talked a little bit about is that the pathway to getting your first in-house job, I think can be narrower. Every company needs someone to handle contracts and to handle corporate matters, but not every company needs an in-house litigator. Um, And I think the second reason is that the part of the GC role that involves that corporate governance and security side of the house is very important, as we said, especially at a public company. So you have to be able and willing to work extremely hard and become capable at managing that space very quickly because it's important to your CEO, to your board, and to the entire organization. So I, I do agree with the the premise of your question. Um, but with those two things in mind, I would say that I think litigation has provided me um, and also others that I know um, who are litigators, who are GCs, um, with a really fantastic foundation to be a GC. So don't give up hope. Um, as litigators, right? You dive into new cases, new industries, new fact patterns, new regulatory regimes all the time, and you have to master them very quickly. You learn how to ask really good questions, and you also exist in a world where an adversary is constantly trying to prove you wrong. So you need to work at the highest standards of excellence in order to deliver wins. And as you know, you you would better win. So I think those are all critical foundational skills to just to to excel in whatever in-house role you wanna have. Um, But I think finally, and and critically, I've seen this play out, you learn how to think about risk in a a balanced way because you've seen how litigation plays out. And I really credit the GC of Intel when I joined Intel for sharing this framing with, with me and with the department. He was also an antitrust litigator by background. And he really said to do our jobs well, We can't give risk-averse legal advice. We have to give risk-optimized legal advice. What's the optimal amount of risk for the business to take on? A zero risk posture will grind business to a halt, Um, but you do need to know when things are actually high risk and to be able to clearly articulate to the business your analysis. Um, What's the likelihood, what's the impact to help them arrive at the best business decision? And so if, if you're a litigator looking to go in-house, I would say keep trying to hone your judgment in that way um, and then take on opportunities to demonstrate mastery of key areas while also showing versatility. Um, and then I think the ability to lead teams and especially guide organizations in challenging times such as transitions or crisis, which are things that litigators often tend to be pretty good at, um, I think you'll have built a good foundation for being a GC. Thank you.
0: Litigators and transactional attorneys certainly have a very different approach to risk, so it was eye-opening to hear your perspective. More than once, you mentioned Intel's former GC, Steve Rogers. It sounds like he may have been a mentor or at least someone who really pushed you and encouraged you to be more forward thinking in your career. Has any one person been particularly helpful to you in your career?
1: So as you've heard throughout, Lena and said, it's really an embarrassment of riches. Certainly, certainly, Steve, as you mentioned, um, but I I really can't name only one person. I would say there's so many people from college to law school to every place I've ever worked up through today. Um, that includes the more senior people, both in the legal department, um, who I could learn from um, and who were willing to invest in me and provide me with opportunities. Um, It also includes some of my own team members who I had the privilege to lead. I learned a lot of things, including about management and leadership from my own team members, and then also from peers and and friends at work. Um, I think one of the important things when you're thinking about how to find mentors or who's been, who's been, who could be helpful um, to you in your career and who you could learn from, I generally think about it in a way that is pretty broad. Think about who you can learn from. It doesn't just mean the senior partner or your manager. You can and should be learning from your own team members, from people cross-functionally in your department and outside of it. Some of the most valuable relationships that I've built are with business people, uh, not other lawyers. And then we have things we can teach each other that make us both better at our jobs and also at having a wider lens on how we approach our work. Um, And then for those... Other mentorship opportunities. I've always found that the organic opportunities for mentorship are the most useful. I never really thought of it as formal mentoring at the time. To me, it was just really about how can I learn as much as possible from the amazing people I'm surrounded by. And you can pick up something from from nearly everyone. So I would just say opportunities to learn and build those relationships are really everywhere. So seize them. And then I encourage people to give back in the same way to help others on their journey. And I think that also when you spend time trying to help coach others, it helps crystallize a lot of things in your own mind. So um, you actually grow a lot as well.
0: I really like that. Thank you, Shelley. Um I think it, it in some ways you're kind of saying it goes full circle, right? You you receive that mentorship and and it is our job to pay it forward. Um, And how, to switch gears a little bit,
1: how has being a female hindered you, if at all, in your career thus far? Yeah, the the honest answer is I don't know, because I don't know how anyone might have perceived me or my abilities differently if I was in a different package. But I, I have a couple thoughts on that. One is that, as we just talked about, multiple people along the way have given me opportunities that Far outstripped anything I had ever dreamed of that led me to becoming a GC of this amazing public tech company. So clearly things have worked out. Um, but in the early years, especially, I had to work hard to get comfortable with the fact that I was going to have to find my own path in terms of how I came across. I had to be authentically me, I couldn't be anybody else. And I was kind of a cheerful, smiling, young woman just out of law school and I definitely expended mental energy worrying in those early years that no one would take me seriously and that that might become a hindrance in my career because I just felt um, like I came across differently. But I still remember people at the firm who helped show me that I had unique gifts For example, I had a lot of credibility in court, and so they sent me to go argue in court. And I was good at working with witnesses in deposition prep and also at taking depositions, getting the deponent to open up. And so um, I really learned there that what makes you different can actually become your greatest attribute. And I've always tried to apply that and just been really fortunate to work at places and and with leaders uh, and managers who have... Always tried to help bring that out as well.
0: that's incredible that you you were able to use some of those traits as you said that made made you different um, but to be able to utilize that to um, to further your your career and um, and what what advice would you have for female attorneys who who want to become general counsels do you have any thoughts on how we can get more women into the GCC?
1: Sure. So aside from advice that I think would apply to anyone like work hard, um, it, <laughs> develop your judgment. Um, I think the advice that is maybe more specific to other female attorneys is that at some point in your journey, you you probably will need to apply for and express interest in jobs where you don't meet all of the qualifications on paper. Uh, We hear about the studies that show that women are more likely to remove themselves from consideration by not applying when they don't meet every listed qualification. I've worked hard not to do that, even though (laughs) it goes against every grain. Um, And a specific example of that is my very first in-house job. Um, On the job rec, they were looking for someone with 10 plus years of experience, and I had seven. But I knew that if I got that job, failure was not an option for me and that no one would work harder to excel at it. And I think that really goes back to childhood where we started. My parents never talked about whether we were smart or not. They they always praised us for how hard we had worked. So I felt comfortable being brave and applying because I knew how hard I would work to succeed. And I think it 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 always taught me you can't, control what others think or what others decide but you can control whether you're in the game or on the sidelines for any open job it sounds like your parents were very forward
0: thinking or (laughs) they were just they were just very smart It, um i think nowadays all the all the parenting advice and and the talk about grit really is exactly that as you said shelly uh, nowadays, the, the advice is don't don't tell your children that they're smart, um, but but that they just need to work hard. And it's it's amazing to see how that you know that advice that your your that work. Um, ethic that your parents had ingrained in you had really carried you throughout the course of your life and career, um, which um, was probably ampl- amplified at your time uh, during your time at Williams and Connelly and at Intel and uh, has now led you to pager duty. And you are one of the rare few who, who gets to work with a female
1: CEO. So what has that been like? Oh, it's it's been phenomenal. Uh, Jen is an exceptional executive. I've I've learned so much from her in just a year's time. I would describe her as someone who leads with excellence, but also with generosity, and I think that's a really powerful combination. Um, She really knows what excellent looks like. She's highly discerning. She gives fantastic feedback, and it's just very rewarding to work for her uh, because of that. Um, She sees the value um, that a strategic lawyer can play in the business. She encourages me to play bigger, uh, to take on work of strategic importance as an executive. And I love doing that. So uh, it's been a great match. And, you know, with Jen, you really want to do your very best because she's bringing her best with relentless passion and energy every single day.
0: That's incredible. It sounds like the you you are truly a strategic partner to your CEO. And it's nice to hear that uh, Jen values legal so much. Um, not every CEO does. And so um, I'm glad to hear that. Um, it, so tech has experienced a lot of challenges in recent months. Uh, how have the recent changes in the market shifted your focus and priorities, if at all?
1: It, it's important to always operate with solid grounding in what's happening in the outside world and, and whether that's changes in technology or in the competitive landscape that will present new challenges for your business or whether that's the economic cycle like you referred to. I am constantly asking myself, what legal and policy tools do I have in my toolkit to help the business now and going forward? Um As to the economic cycle, I've always operated well with lean teams. That was how we worked at Williams & Connolly, and it's stuck with me ever since. Um, In a lean team, everyone gets a lot of responsibility and I'm always thinking about how do we help our team members focus on the highest value work to deliver the biggest impact to the business and then create process optimizations to efficiently manage the rest of the work with the lightest touch possible. And I really want my great team focused on things like the issues of first impression, the biggest deals, the highest risk or highest impact matters, and not answering the same question about an NDA five times a day. <laughs> you know, we, we want to answer that question for the business. I just want the team to be able to answer it once, write out a really good answer and then make it available to the business <laughs> so it saves everyone time and you can really focus on the highest value work. And I think that's also most re- rewarding for team members. And I think of myself, um, I always like to work on high impact, important projects with people I really enjoy working with. And I find that for personal development and for team members, if we can get them using their skills and directing them towards highest value highest impact work, it provides a more satisfying career development journey for everyone on the team. So I tend to think of it as the opportunities created by changes in the market um, instead of constraints. And I think uh, necessity really is uh, the mother of invention. Agreed. And
0: and so in order to help your team can focus on the the biggest deals or or the highest value work. Do you do that through trainings, um, regular like weeklies? How how
1: are you able to uh,
0: help help your team members identify identify what is more important than others?
1: Yeah, so I would say it's really an interactive process. It goes up, down, across all different ways, and you constantly have to be willing to adapt and adjust and learn. Um, the The number one premise that we start with is that our work is to help. Uh, the business deliver on its primary objectives. And so we start every year uh, at at PagerDuty, we use V2 moms as our um, goal setting process. And so we start by looking at, well, what are the businesses? Uh, V2 moms? What are their key objectives? What are they trying to deliver this year? And then we go from that and say, well, what are the different things that we can do to support and be in service of those business objectives? And so we map that out. And um, I love having some sort of system each year to, to to both plan out and have the vision for your objectives and how you're going to execute, and whether that's V2 moms or OKRs, I find those are really helpful tools and they help crystallize and prioritize. Um, and then throughout the year, you just continue to have an interactive discussion about how to how, you know, is it still the same set of priorities? Have things shifted? How do we need to adapt? Um, and then as I think about any particular project, it is just that discussion of what's highest impact, highest risk, and then how do we come up with good frameworks to make sure that we are prioritizing that work and then figuring out what other work can be automated or can be done with a lighter touch or self-help guidelines. And we're at a really fun and exciting stage in PagerDuty's history where we are we're developing and building out a lot of those sorts of guidelines and playbooks. And that's where I think the creativity really comes into being a lawyer. And so I have a great team that is creative and is kind of up for anything. And so we do a lot of that fun work together.
0: Sounds like a collaborative environment where communication is key. Final question. What do you do to decompress?
1: So I think number one activity that I love is just long, long walks, and either taking them with my husband, or listening to a podcast, or talking to a friend, uh, or to a family member. I'm gonna I'm gonna give my mom a call when we get off this podcast and tell her how much uh, you appreciate it, and I appreciate the uh, that work ethic that she instilled. Uh, so I'm definitely gonna give her a shout out after we uh, after we wrap up here, but. For me, being outside, being active, um, I love that allowing my mind to think big thoughts that are really free from anything coming into my inbox at that moment. I do try to really disconnect on those walks and. I I think that it makes me better. I I really do try to approach my work with a lot of creativity and possibility thinking. Um, I think of it as trying to achieve more than anyone thought was possible. And I, I think that's my leadership purpose is to try to create a vision and environment for people to achieve more than they thought was possible. And in order to do that, I I really need space to enable my brain to think those kinds of big thoughts and figure out how we might deliver on them. And so if the walk can take me somewhere with a Pacific Ocean view, uh, then that really is inspirational. And that's about as good as it gets for me. Sounds sublime. And also a reminder of why you came back to the Bay
0: Area. Well exactly Thank you so much for your time, Shelley. I've really enjoyed this chat. And yes, please call your mom and give her, give <laughs> her a big shout out. And, and again, uh, it was really great speaking with you and learning about your journey to, to becoming a general counsel. Thanks so much for listening to GCs in the House. I hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me next time for an in-depth discussion with another general counsel. I welcome your feedback and recommendations for guests. You can reach me at lguo at mlaglobal.com. Please also reach out if you have any questions or comments about today's episode. Until next time.